You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about our serial wars. The United States has a war-based economy. We've talked about this in numerous podcasts. And as uh, most people that listen to our podcast know, we are a pro-peace and pro-life organization. And so some recent developments here, including a mass shooting in Las Vegas, need to be looked at and in conjunction with these wars. And Chuck has just recently published an article about our proxy Israel in the Middle East looking to ramp up a war against Iran in Syria. And so we want to kind of look at all these things and kind of connect some of the dots that are involved with war. What are the effects of war? We've uh, been at war, really, um, I can remember since uh, the late 60s. Well, actually, since World War II, you look at all the wars. But in my era, of course, the Vietnam War was going on, and we've had numerous wars. We've been at war basically since 1991 in the Middle East with Iraq in 1991 and then Afghanistan and Iraq again in 2003, and now Syria, Libya, and they've all been disastrous to the countries and also to our own people. We know, for example, that on the average about 22 American veterans commit suicide every day. Chuck? Well, Tom, you bring up a great point about these little current events, and we've just seen this mass shooting in Las Vegas where some 60 people are killed. Everybody's going to know all these details. We're going to hear about it for weeks and months. And 500 people wounded by this sophisticated weaponry attack. And, of course, uh, we're seeing a lot of people blaming this on the weapons. We're going to see all kinds of legislation that's going to say we need to ban these kind of weapons. But I haven't noticed yet, Tom, is I have not seen anybody suggest that these series of mass killings that have now escalated, we now have some people keeping records of which is the biggest and most violent of these murder events where the people being killed have no connection whatsoever to the killer. The killer just simply is killing a bunch of people at random. We've seen nobody suggest that this has anything to do with the fact that our country has been carrying out violent wars in probably some eight or nine countries that we counted up the major ones over these last years. And I think that your point that this is having an effect on veterans they are killing themselves or committing suicide at an unusual pace is part of the symptom of this. But we think we should actually take a little look at what influence has war had upon the civilian killings in America. I think probably we can leave that and go on to our subject tonight because there's going to be a lot of time to talk about events in Las Vegas this week. However, this week our story entitled U.S. 
proxy Israel is declaring unlimited war on Iran and maybe Russia. And we've uh, hinged our story upon one that was published in a foreign policy magazine. Now, this is a pricey private publication. You have to subscribe to it. But this particular issue uh, was carried in Yahoo News, so we went ahead and picked it up from Yahoo News, and we've republished it. Israel is going to war in Syria to fight Iran by Jonathan Spire. The article starts, Jerusalem. Israeli officials believe that Iran is winning its bid for dominance in the Middle East, and they are mobilizing to counter the regional realignment that threatens to follow. The focus on Israel's military and diplomatic campaign is Syria. Israel jets have struck Hezbollah and Syrian regime facilities and convoys dozens of times during Syria's civil war with the goal of, supposedly, I add, preventing the transfer of weapon systems from Iran to Hezbollah. In an apparent broadening of the scope of this air campaign on September 7th, Israel struck a Syrian weapons facility near Maithyaf, uh, responsible for the production of chemical weapons and the storing of surface-to-surface missiles. Well, without going into the accuracy of Mr. Spire's article or anything, we are now seeing an obvious escalation where Israel is before prepended to uh, help out the United States in the spreading of terrorism, but now they've openly attacked facilities of the Syrian government. And what makes this so dangerous to all of us is the Syrian government is a direct ally of Russia. Russia has defended the Syrian government's actions, and it has pretty much taken a we are with you and you can depend on it posture toward Syria. Now, we should also notice that a good part of Israel, one of the most important sections of Israel, is the Golan Heights, where most of their water comes from. And the Golan Heights was a part of Syria, and Israel actually captured that from the Syrian, the weak Syrian government during, what, the 1967 war, I believe? Yes, that's right. And so this is not the first time that Israel has rendered open warfare against Syria. Of course, they're blaming, they use as an excuse for this, Hezbollah and Hamas, which are supposed to be terrible Arab organizations that are violently opposed to Israel. Our point, of course, in bringing all of this up is that we are seeing basically a threat of escalation into a bigger and broader war that could in some way, directly or indirectly, involve the government of Russia, formerly the Soviet Union. We thought that war was over, and now we're being threatened by that again. So we want to discuss that a little bit tonight, and we wanted to discuss it in the context of how it can be allowed to happen. Uh, You're going to hear all kinds of people talking about this, pros and cons of it. Israel's right, Hezbollah is terrible, Hamas is wrong. All the excuses will be passed off for Israel. But you're not going to hear very many people talk about what we're going to talk about tonight, and that is that it is our military-industrial establishment. This foreign policy magazine uses the term the deep state. 
to mean the government beneath the government or above the government. We're going to be talking about this influence that allows our leaders to get away with supporting Israel's position instead of taking the side of uh, Syria, the independent state, and the side of uh, Russia with them, and saying, stay at home, Israel. So this is uh, where we are. Now, Tom, let's talk a little about Dwight David Eisenhower and his proclamation back in uh, 1961 at the time he left office. It was called his Farewell Address. All right, I want to read from this address. This is the formal address. It's available on the Internet. We've got a link on our site. You can go there to read it. We also have a link to Eisenhower making this speech. And uh, this is something you don't hear quoted very often. But in part four of this speech, a lot of the speech you'll find is, of course, the usual boilerplate that everybody uses when they're leaving office. And uh, thank you for this and thank you for that. But the essence of this speech is boiled down into a few lines in part four. And I'm going to read just a few of those lines for you. Quote, our military organization today bears little relations to that known by any of our predecessors in peacetime or indeed by the fighting men in World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armament industry. This conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, and even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. In the Council of Governments, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex, the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or the democratic process. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and a knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machine of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prospect together. Uh, he went on also in part five to talk about something we haven't really discussed much or encountered yet, but which is a very far-reaching idea. He called this a scientific technical elite that became so brilliant that the rest of us could not understand what they were doing and we didn't know what they were doing. Well, I think we're seeing a little hint of that in the new systems of the Bitcoin and, and the other hundreds of, of these elite mechanisms. We're seeing a scientific technological elite who we really don't understand well enough to know what they're doing. Aside from that, leaving that for now, for another generation, I want to say that General Eisenhower was brilliant in his anticipation of seeing this, because if you look at the New York Stock Exchange this month, let's say since the election in last November, several of the leading stocks on that exchange that have increased in value from 50 to 100% in just those, those now nine months, are stocks like the companies of Boeing, 
and general dynamics and other defense mechanism stocks. So we're seeing a very powerful economic impact that they're having, but we are also questioning the issue of how much power this military industrial complex have. In our paper that we have read, we have talked about what Eisenhower left out. We have said that if we were to rename the military industrial complex today, the MIC we call it, we would call it the FED MIC. FED meaning the symbol for the Federal Reserve System, or we would basically say that the banking mechanism linked itself up with the military industrial complex to put together the most powerful advocacy for war and revolution all over the world that you could possibly have, combining the banking powers, especially the monopoly banking powers, with the military industrial complex. Tom? Well said, Chuck. And getting back to the subject of Israel, I'm reminded of our sign, No More Wars for Israel. And, of course, we've had numerous wars, and I can think back in in the 80s, one of Israel's enemies was Iraq, and they uh, bombed a nuclear facility in Iraq. And then, of course, as things go, we're not very consistent because in the 80s, we actually were helping Saddam Hussein training and supplying war materials, chemical weapons when they were fighting Iran. And then, of course, 1991, we started the first Gulf War, and uh, that was a war for Israel, actually. We talk about it being for oil. Israel, for example, has had five wars against Lebanon, uh, starting in 1982 with devastating effect, and there's possibility for a sixth war against Lebanon, particularly with these developments with their actions against Hezbollah. So if things go wrong, I would think that uh, Israel would be looking to the United States to clean up the mess that, of course, that we've already made in the the Middle East there. Uh, It's such a twisted mess. I might just interject. When our listeners here talk about the need to discipline or disarm Hezbollah, they should automatically think of Lebanon because Hezbollah is Lebanon. This is the former free government of Lebanon. So when Israel talks about destroying Hezbollah or having another war against Hezbollah, they're actually talking about Lebanon. And when they talk about destroying Hamas, they're talking about Gaza. They're talking about the million and a half people who live in Gaza and whose legitimate elected government is called Hamas. And we see this name flipping going on all over all over the East where uh, we now hear all this talk about fighting ISIS. Well, who really is ISIS? The subject for another time, but we want our listeners to readily understand that ISIS is a concoction of some kind that is uh, probably uh, meant to be a straw man to be knocked down. Excuse me for interjecting, Tom. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's a very good point, Chuck. And we see these kinds of excuses that they're, 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 they're blaming uh, Hezbollah, and uh, certainly they're, uh, you know, exaggerating on uh, Iran's capabilities. Certainly they are an ally with Syria, but we need to remind people that Iran is surrounded by something like 45 or 46 American military bases, and so they can only do so much. So there is a fine balance there in the Middle East, and 
Israel doesn't want any opposition, obviously, and they are showing what they can do here, and they seem to be coming out of the closet, if you will, by what they're doing in uh, Syria now. But we'd like to close this by going back to what Dwight David Eisenhower, general of the Army, the highest soldier during World War II, said at his retirement, beware of the military-industrial complex. We say beware of the banking military-industrial complex because it is part of the same complex. And we'd like to point out that the wars that we are engaging in are in a way like the shooting that took place in Las Vegas. We really did not have a enemy in Iraq when we went into Iraq and destroyed that country, probably killing at least a million of its citizens. I've seen figures as high as two million. We went there because we needed a war. The military-industrial complex, or the banking military-industrial complex, which in our story you'll see the FedNIC, the FedNIC needed another war to keep the economy going, to keep the stocks pumped up, to keep the bond market from collapsing, and to keep expanding an economy that was already overheated. And so we ended up in Iraq. Uh, we did not have that much against the people of Afghanistan. If you think back a little while, we defended Afghanistan when our former old enemy, the Soviet Union, invaded Afghanistan. And the U.S. weapons were shipped to the Afghani rebels or the Afghani government who was willing to defend themselves. And uh, they actually shot down enough Soviet helicopters that Russia pulled out of Afghanistan. So we were never a great enemy of the Arab people who live in Afghanistan. We went there because the military-industrial complex, or the FEDMIC, needed another war. Now, I'm telling you the position that we hold these truths has taken since, the very be- since our very beginning. These wars are wars of financial necessity to the people that Dwight David Eisenhower called the military-industrial complex. When he spoke about it, he didn't even capitalize it, the military-industrial complex. We do. We capitalize it. And it's referred to by others as the deep state and various different uh, terms that others have for it, the neocons politically and so on. Our appetite here in America for war does not come from our viciousness and our desire to murder lots of people in Afghanistan or Iraq or Iran. It comes from a movement within us that has tremendous power and influence, especially in the media, the press, and so on, that's able to convince us that we need another war that we have an excuse for another war, and at the root of all of these wars is the economy and the need of keeping the pot boiling for the benefit of this FedNIC. Let's wrap it up by saying a logical step that could be taken right now would be to cut off the $10 billion a day in military aid that we're giving to the state of Israel. Not because we hate the Israelis, not because we are against Jews, although we will be accused of that immediately when we say this, but because that money is being used to foment more wars that we will be drug into, and this next one could even involve nuclear weapons, because we're talking about standing up, facing up against countries, both Israel and Russia, that have large stockpiles 
of thermonuclear weapons. Chuck, and I might add, we also would suggest cutting off aid to places like Egypt and the dealings that we're doing with Saudi Arabia, who's conducting a genocide in Yemen. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.